Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from a recent message given by our pastor, Dennis Fountain. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, take your Bibles today and let's go to the book of Luke. Luke in chapter number 19 this morning. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19 this morning, and uh, when I was six years old, a lot of things happened. How many of you can remember that far back? All right. Uh, For some of you, now I'm I'm kind of impressed. If you didn't notice, those of you, most of our recycled teenagers are sitting right here in the front and center, so is it because you guys couldn't hear me? I don't know. Anyway... They, uh, they moved up today. Uh, when I was six years old, a lot of things happened. But one thing that happened that really has left a, uh, it's, it's kind of left a mark in my head. And um, that is, uh, my, I said in my head, not on my head. There are marks, never mind. Uh, when I was six, my parents, of course, my sisters, I have two older sisters. One's eight years older than me. One's 11 years older than me. And then I have a younger brother, Dustin, who is six years younger than me. At the time uh, that this story took place, and I've probably told this story before, but at the time that this story took place, I, was, I had just turned six, and my brother Dustin, he was probably, probably three months old, and we were going to go on family vacation. And everybody knows that a six-year-old family vacation is awesome. I mean, you look forward to it, right? You're, I'm, I'm anticipating, I'm excited about it. And so the surprise was that we were gonna go from Greeley, Colorado, where we lived, to Indianapolis, Indiana, where my mom's parents lived, Mama and Daddy Doe. How many remember our nicknames? Remember, Mama, Daddy Doe, Aunt Sissy, Uncle Bubber, because they couldn't say brother. We're very creative. Ma, other pa, other ma. I can keep going, but I won't. Uh, so we were going to go to Mama and Daddy Doe's house, and we got there. We spent a few days at Mama and Daddy Doe's house, and then there was another surprise. The next surprise was my parents and my two sisters were leaving me and my younger brother at my grandparents. And here's the surprise. They were going to take family vacation without me and my brother, and they did. They got in the car, and they left, and they left me and Dustin at at Mama and Daddy Doe's, and we were there. I had no idea what was going on. I was like, what's up? I thought we were doing family vacation, not big people vacation and me and Dustin vacation. I didn't know the story. I didn't know what was taking place, but I do know that they went, and they went to Washington, D.C., and they had an incredible time. They had a great time. They, have, they still, to this day, tell stories about going to Washington, D.C. without me and without Dustin. As a matter of fact, for years, for years, my sisters, and many of you have met both of them, and you know how cruel they are. When I was like seven and eight years old, this, I'm telling this, this is the truth. It would come time for family vacation, and they would say, well, Dennis... Maybe we'll take you this year. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. It depends on if mom and dad like you. My sisters would say stuff like that to me. 
My mom, I was talking to her the other day, and I, because I, unbeknownst to many of you, I do ask my mom permission to tell certain stories because I just don't want her to feel bad. And so I called her. I was like, hey, do you care if I tell the story? Do you remember Don and Dina doing this? She's like, well, I don't remember them doing that. I was like, of course you don't. They didn't do it around you. Because what older sibling, you know, is mean and degrading to the younger sibling in front of the parents? None. My sisters, they would do that. You know what happened? I found myself, now I laugh at it. Now I recognize why they did it and all the walking and all of that type of stuff and all the the reasons behind it. Even though I still completely disagree with it, I know why they did it. But when I was like 12 and 13 years old, do you know how it made me feel when my sisters would come up to me and say, well, we might take you. And it made me feel insignificant. It made me feel unimportant. You ever had times in life when you felt that way? Now, it doesn't make me feel that way anymore. I mean, I'd, I could care less. I don't even remember. I just remember feeling kind of bad, like they left me. I should have got the hint because they left me multiple times growing up. But <laughs> we all have times that we've been there that we felt unimportant, times that we felt insignificant, times that we felt overlooked. Maybe it was on the recess playing field playing kickball, being the last one picked. Maybe it was in a classroom when a teacher would ask for an answer and your hand would go up and they would never, never pick on you. Maybe it, it's in the workplace and you bring ideas and you bring thoughts to the table, but you feel like it always falls on deaf ears and the boss never listens to you and the boss doesn't get your opinion. The boss really doesn't, doesn't care about your approach or your ideas. Maybe it's even in the home that uh, you may feel as a parent that no matter what goes on in the home, that it's just kind of disregarded or that your spouse disregards you or your teens or, or young person, maybe you feel like your mom and dad just overlook you. They don't care about you and things like that. We all have times in our life, every single one of us, we have times that we feel insignificant, times that we feel unimportant, times that we wonder, do I mean anything to the people around me? And I know we've felt that with people, but I also know that every single person in here has felt that with God. What do you mean, pastor? I know that every one of us have been curious to think, am I insignificant to God? I mean, in all of creation, does God really care about me? In all of creation, am I, am I really that important to an almighty creator? I mean, God who created everything and me who, am, uh, who, who is nothing, does God really care? What is my importance to God? This morning, that's the question that we're going to answer. And we're going to go, we're going to travel to the city of Jericho today to find the answer. The city of Jericho, if you know anything about it, <clears throat> It would be at this time, the time that we're going to read about, it was known as the City of Palms. It was a beautiful city about six miles west of the Jordan River and six miles north of the Dead Sea. This area, the, this, this area of Jericho, of course, if you're a Bible student or you've read the Bible at all, you can maybe even remember the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Well, that would be thousands of years before the passage that we're going to discover today. But we're going to travel to the city of Jericho, to discover the answer to the question. The question is, what is my importance to God? What is your importance to God? Do you really mean anything to God? Do I 
really mean anything to God. And to help us with this, we're gonna go to Luke chapter 19 to the city of Jericho. Luke 19, you're probably there. If you're there, stand with me and find your place. Luke 19, you can read along or you can just follow the words on the screen today as we go through Luke 19, reading the first 10 verses of probably a very familiar story. Luke chapter 19 and verse number one, we read these words. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press or the group of people, the crowd of people, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him For he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they... That, that they is the onlookers, the people outside, the people who were part of the crowd. When they saw it, they murmured. They started complaining to each other. And they, they were saying that he, Jesus, was gone to be the guest with a man that is a sinner. Zacchaeus, this would be after Jesus was in his house and having a meal. They've spent some time together. Zacchaeus stood. And he said unto the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus, he responds, Jesus says unto him, this day is salvation come to this house. For as much as he, Zacchaeus also, is a son of Abraham. Notice Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. For because the Son of Man, speaking of Jesus Christ, he has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The city of Jericho, the city of Palms, this man Zacchaeus, what are we going to learn from them today? We're going to learn the answer to the question, what is my importance to God? Do I really matter. Lord, I pray right now that you'd help us as we get into your word. Father, I pray that you'd speak to each one of us. I commit my mind and words and actions to you and in humility, just ask you that you'd help us today. Use me, Lord. Help me not to say my words, but yours. Help us to hear from you. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. As we come to this passage today, I really just want us to notice four very quick thoughts. Number one, I want us to look at what others thought about Zacchaeus. As we come to Luke chapter 19, this perhaps familiar portion of scripture, or at least familiar story, even if a person would say, well, I don't go to church very much, you no doubt have heard the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man. How many of you sang that song maybe as a kid? Some of you sang that song. Some of you know about that song. But this story of Zacchaeus, I want to ask the question, what did other people think about Zacchaeus? I notice a few thoughts from our passage today that we can gather. Number one, we can know that Zacchaeus, he was disliked. He was disliked. Well, how do we know that he was disliked? Well, the Bible gave him a title in this passage. 
The title that he's given is a publican. All right, a publican. What is a publican? A publican at that time would be a tax collector. But not just in the sense of like maybe our our mindset would go to someone who works for the IRS or something that collects taxes. That's not the mindset. A publican was actually a person of Hebrew descent. Now, let's set the context of the culture and the stage at that time. Jericho, a, a city in Israel, okay, a city in Israel, but Israel is not its own nation at this time. Rome would be controlling Israel. Rome was looked at as the enemy. Rome was looked at by the people of the, by the Hebrew people saying, we, we don't want any part of Rome. We don't want them in, in, uh, um, uh, in our area. We don't want them ruling over us. And the, the Hebrew people, they were praying for relief from Rome. Okay. Now here's what a publican would do. A publican, a tax collector, was actually a Hebrew person that joined themselves to the Romans to collect taxes from the Hebrews for the Romans. Does that make sense? So I'm a Hebrew person. I'm coming to other Hebrew people and I'm saying, pay me your taxes because I represent Rome. Now, question. How do you think that made other Hebrew people feel about Zacchaeus? They didn't like him. Why? He's a traitor. Here we are, we, we hate Rome, and yet here he is joining with them. I believe it would be safe to say that simply because of his position, and we know this from the passage, as well as many others just like it, that publicans were completely disliked. They were despised. They were looked down upon. They were disowned often by their own families. They were, uh, they were people that not only were they uh, disliked, but we can also know that he was probably ignored. He was ignored. Well, why would he be ignored? If you go and you read it, it says that he's the publican. He works for the publicans, but... It also says that he was the chief among the publicans. How many of you saw that when we read through that? Well, what does that mean? He's the leader of all the tax collectors. Um, it's interesting when you study a little bit of the Hebrew history and, and Roman history that the, uh, the publicans, they were, they were completely disliked. But the chief publicans, they were the ones that they were skimming off the top. So the chief publican would get, uh, I would receive orders from Rome as to what the taxes should be. I would tell the other publicans what they're supposed to collect, but I could add my own, I could add my own money into that, my own desire into that. So if it's, let's use today's terminology, if I'm taxing $100 a month, and that's what Rome expected, I could go to all the tax collectors and I could say, you give me 200 a month per family. Well, what am I getting? I'm, I'm taking $100 off of that. And then those publicans, they would go to the family and they'd say, hey, you need to give me 250. <laughs> well, why? Because now they're getting their cut. And so if a chief publican, if a publican's walking down the road, people are, man, I don't like them. But if the chief publican's walking down the road, people are turning their back. Man, I, I do not want to be around Zacchaeus. 
He was despised, he was ignored. He was ignored in such a way, I said it just a minute ago, that they were often, most publicans, they were disowned by their own family. You know what Zacchaeus didn't get? He never got birthday cards. (laughs) He didn't get invitation to the family reunion. He didn't get invitation, all the feasts that they were supposed to celebrate together. Uh, Zacchaeus, he wasn't invited. Why? Because you're a traitor. He's despised, he's ignored, We could even go as far to say that he was vilified. In the story we just read it a minute ago, Jesus goes and spends time at the house of Zacchaeus. The people murmur about that. And what do they call Zacchaeus in verse number seven? A sinner. Now, let's be honest. In our day and age, calling somebody a sinner, isn't that too much of a put down? Oh, they're just a sinner. It's kind of tossed around. Well, we recognize that we're all sinners, right? Am I, am I right? I'm just checking. I was just checking. Man, I was getting stared at thinking I was in the wrong room. Uh, man, we're, we're all sinners. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But when they used the term sinner, they were, they were putting Zacchaeus on the same level as, as murderers and prostitutes, for, for the people of Israel, those, the Hebrew people, those who participated in prostitution or those who were, were murderers, they were put at kind of this, this scale of like, all right, there's sin and then there's dogs and then there's sinners like murders, publicans, and prostitutes. He was vilified. He was turned into the villain. He is, he's somebody that now is not only, now not only is he just disliked and not only is he disowned and not only is he ignored, but now they're saying he is the enemy. We, we don't like this guy at all. I think knowing all of these things about Zacchaeus, we could very easily assume and say that he was probably very unloved. Would you agree with that? Yeah, he's probably very unloved. People turn to the other side of the street when he walks down the road. People are maybe looking to buy a home in his neighborhood. They find out Zacchaeus lives there and they no longer interested in that house. People maybe see uh, friends and family and they see things taking place and here's what you have. You have Zacchaeus just being pushed out. What did other people think about Zacchaeus? Well, other people, they said he is disliked. We don't want him around. He's the enemy. Other people didn't love Zacchaeus. Well, here's my second question. What did Zacchaeus think about Zacchaeus? What was Zacchaeus's thoughts about himself? We actually have the answer. We know from a few of the words in our passage, what Zacchaeus thought about himself. Look, if you would, at verse number three and verse number four, and I want you to notice three specific words as we read through this. First, I want you to see the word sought. And he, Zacchaeus, sought to see Jesus, who he was. And he could not for the press because he was of little stature. Second word, and he ran. Notice the word ran. He ran before. Third word, he climbed. Climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. At first glance, if we were to read this passage we would probably think, well, it doesn't actually say a lot, but these verses, really, they, can they open up to us the heart of Zacchaeus because of those three words, sought, ran, and climbed. 
We know from the word sought that Zacchaeus felt empty on the inside. The word sought in this passage, it means to crave after, to seek after, to strive after, or to go, to be willing to go to any length to discover. It would mean that Zacchaeus, he wasn't only trying to meet Jesus. We can gather from the, the root word of the word sought that at some point, Zacchaeus probably heard about Jesus. Maybe it was from another publican, another tax collector, a man by the name of Levi or Matthew, who was from a town very close, very close by. We don't know what he heard, but we do know from the wording that when it says that he sought to meet Jesus, he wanted a personal interaction with Jesus Christ because he was missing something. And he had heard that maybe Jesus could fill it. He was empty. Even though he was rich, he believed that Jesus could fill his heart because those riches were not. One man said of Zacchaeus, the more freedom he sought in riches, the more of a slave he became. And isn't that true about money? You can try to seek freedom in any realm of finance and the more of a slave you become to it. And we don't know everything that was going through his heart, but we do know from the word sought that Zacchaeus was empty. What else do we know? We know Zacchaeus felt empty. We also know that Zacchaeus, he felt determined. He felt determined. We find that in the word ran. Do you see when it says that he couldn't, see, he couldn't see Jesus because of the press? There was a group of people, tons of people around, and Zacchaeus is trying to push himself in. But because he was of little stature, because he was, the, the phrase little stature, it doesn't just mean short, it means shorter than the average person. It means shorter than short. He was, we don't know exactly how tall he was, but Zacchaeus was a short man that could not get in not only because of the group of people, but again, remember his position. If Zacchaeus comes up behind you and is like, excuse me, excuse me, let me in, and you look and you see who it is, what are you doing? You're standing in the way, man. You ever been, you ever been somewhere where somebody gets in the way of you being able to see and they do it on purpose? Oh, my dad and I, we're both tall guys, but there'll be times we went to Mariners games and people would get, people would get drunk in front of us. And uh, I can recall uh, there being a few times when my dad and I'd be sitting there and, and my dad would, you know, we're trying to sit down and watch the game. I don't want to stand for nine innings. I didn't pay to stand to pay. I'm going to sit in my seat, you know, and three or four people would stand. There's nothing going on. They're just drunk standing up. Hey, excuse me. What? Did you guys, did you guys sit down? There's, there's nothing happening. Like, we're not, there's nothing to cheer for right now. Just let us watch. And they go, oh, okay. Stand up taller. I can remember plenty of times people mouthing off, and then my dad would stand up. They'd quit mouthing off. <laughs> this has nothing to do with the message. One time a guy was, <clears throat> this really has nothing to do with the message, so I hope I remember where I am uh, in my message. But there was a guy one time that was breaking into my car. And we, we pulled up in the parking lot and I said, dad, there is somebody in my car. He said, no, there's not. I said, dad, there's someone in my car. And we got out and sure enough, there was a guy breaking into my car. And my dad rolled down the window. He's like, hey, buddy. And that guy got up and I'm sorry if you're this height, but he was probably like 5'5". Five, five. And he got up, he like bowed up. He bowed up to my dad. He's like, what are you gonna do? 
Well, at the time, I was a bit heftier than I am now, but I was still six foot two, six foot three. My dad got out. He was a bit heftier than he was. He's six five. We just stood over the guy. And he looked up. He's like, I'm sorry, I'll be on my way. So my dad intimidated people. Now, again, that had nothing to do with the message. It was just really funny in my head. Man, people that stand up in front of you at a game like that, get out of the way. But when they, when they do it, when they push you out out of spite, that's what I imagine happening to Zacchaeus. Well, that didn't stop him. Why? Because the word that we see in verse number four is that he ran. But he didn't just run, he ran before the crowd. You know what that means? That means he got out in front of them. But here's what's interesting about that word ran. In that culture, okay, in that culture, for someone of Zacchaeus's wealth and Zacchaeus's stature in society, even though he's not liked by the Hebrews, he had an office that had to be respected because he had the, Rome, the Roman guards backing him. For a person of his stature to run, completely unheard of. As a matter of fact, it was actually disgraceful for him to run and more disgraceful for him to run in front of people. And yet, what's the Bible tell us he's doing? He's running before, he's running in front of them. What does that help us see? That helps us see how determined he was. What was he determined to do? He was, he was determined to fill that emptiness. The third word, the third word is climbed. That word helps us see that not only is he determined, but Zacchaeus felt desperate. It was disgraceful for a man of his stature to run in front of everybody. It was absolutely unheard of for him to climb a tree. For him to climb a sycamore tree, this is a sycamore tree taken, picture taken in Jericho. Some of our church family, uh, we're actually leaving tomorrow morning to go to Israel and we'll be in Jericho this next week. And uh, you know what? This tree, can you see Zacchaeus running out? Now listen, this isn't the exact tree, okay? Someone after like, man, we saw the exact tree that Zacchaeus climbed. Probably not, just saying. But he, run, he runs in front of the whole group of people and he gets up. Now listen, when he climbed the tree, he wasn't climbing 15 branches up. He's just trying to get above six feet, trying to get above seven feet. So he gets in that first branch. Why would he climb? Because he was desperate. Zacchaeus was a man who felt desperate. Zacchaeus was a man that he was empty on the inside. He was ignored on the outside. He was unloved by people around him. And he was going to do anything he could to make his way to, to Jesus Christ. So Zacchaeus, he was empty. He was determined. He was desperate. We see what others think about him. We see what Zacchaeus thought about himself. But I want you to notice thirdly with me what Jesus thought about Zacchaeus. What did Jesus think about Zacchaeus? Well, the story lets us in. When Jesus came by, he came to the place. He came to the bottom of that tree. And Jesus, he looked up and he saw him. And he said unto Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at that house, at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. What we read here is what Jesus did that other people did not expect. 
You see, as Jesus came passing by, the Bible tells us that Jesus looked up, no doubt connected eyes with him. And as he connected eyes with him, do you ever, those of you that have maybe read this story before, you ever wondered what went through Zacchaeus' mind? (laughs) And if I'm putting myself in his situation and I'm up there in that tree, just maybe leaning against some branches and people are literally right below, I could probably reach down and touch heads and I'm just kind of there and Jesus comes by and he's maybe three feet from my face and he just looks right up at me. You know, it goes through my head if I'm Zacchaeus. Great. Here's another, here's another put down coming. Here's another insult coming. Well, why would that be going through your head? Because that was the common, that was the, the common response. The common response, go read some history. The common response, people walking by, they'd be walking by Zacchaeus and they see his eyes and they, they'd meet eyes with Zacchaeus and under their breath, they go, traitor. They'd be walking by and see Zacchaeus and look at Zacchaeus and catch eyes with him and go, man, kids go that way. That don't, don't ever talk. That. You see him? He's a publican. And, they, and now here's Zacchaeus on that tree. Jesus looks up and his eyes meet him. But Jesus doesn't say, traitor. Jesus doesn't say, hey, crowd, go the other way. Now, the Bible says, actually, it doesn't even say Jesus said anything yet. It just says the word, he saw him. Do you see that phrase, he saw him, in verse number five? Jesus looks up and he saw Zacchaeus. That word saw, it means to connect with, to pay attention to. It doesn't just have to do with, I'm going and I see Terry. Oh, I saw Terry here. Oh, I saw Hannah. I look over and I see. No, no, no. It means I'm going and I see. I see you. I'm connecting with you. And I I see you. That's what Jesus did right when he looked at Zacchaeus. He just connected with him. Man, you imagine having the very son of God just connect eyes with you. In that moment, I mean, he already knows everything about you. In that moment, you probably have a little bit of humility going on. In that moment, you're probably thinking, man, what comes next? But Jesus looked up. He connected eyes with Zacchaeus, and we know that he spoke to Zacchaeus. But he didn't just speak to Zacchaeus. He said, hey, hey, Zacchaeus. Why don't you come down? You and me, we're going to hang out. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm reading this story, I try to put myself in the character's position. If I'm Zacchaeus and he's like, hey, uh, Jesus looks at me. I mean, this man that I've heard everything about, this man that I've heard can literally make the blind to see and the lame to walk and the dumb to speak. And, and I know about him raising people from the dead. When I, when I see this Jesus and he looks at me and not only does he look, but he connects with me and then he speaks to me and then he invites me to spend time with him. Man, what a miracle. What an incredible thing. The fact that Jesus even spent time with Zacchaeus. And the Bible tells us that they didn't just spend time together like a, like a nonchalant conversation before a church service or after a church service. No, 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 no. Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to abide at your house. The word abide, we've seen it many times before. It means I'm going to make myself at home at your place. 
Some people even believe that Jesus was intending even to just stay the night at that. Hey, I'm a, I'm a friend that's coming into town. You've got a guest room. It's filled. I'm using the guest room for a couple days. Here's Zacchaeus expecting someone to say, traitor, expecting someone to say, let's go the other way. And yet Jesus looks at him. He speaks to him. He spends time with him. Why? Well, it's because Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. Jesus sought Zacchaeus. In the story, we just read it. The Bible actually tells us that Jesus would go to the house of Zacchaeus. And at the time in the house, Zacchaeus would put his faith in Jesus Christ. We'll see that in just a minute. But Jesus, in verse number nine, notice what Jesus says. Jesus said unto him, this day salvation has come into this house for so much that he, Zacchaeus, is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is an absolutely incredible statement, and here's why. When it says that he also is the Son of Abraham, Jesus is actually speaking these words to the people around that are murmuring against Zacchaeus. Now, follow me. Remember how everybody would have hated Zacchaeus? Remember that? He's hated, he's unloved, he's ignored. The Hebrew people, they were very proud in their culture. Right? They're very proud in the fact that we are the children of Abraham. Well, what is that? We are the chosen of God. Well, here's what the Hebrew people would say about Zacchaeus. Even though he's Hebrew, he is not the chosen of God. He is not a child of Abraham. No, no, no. He is a child of the devil because he has traded over and become part of Rome and he's a publican. And so they would say, he has no part in our relationship with God. Hey, we're special because we cross the T's and dot the I's. Here's what most Hebrews would say. We're special because we perform religious activities. Zacchaeus is a traitor. He has no part in our relationship with God. Can I just pause here and say that that is exactly what religion does? Religion poisons the way you think about God. You say, well, hold up. Aren't we in a church? Isn't this religion? No, religion, man's definition of religion poisons what we think about God. And here's what I mean by that. We, we think that the more we do and the more we perform and the better we are, God will love us in a greater way. We think, like many Hebrews did, that if I cross my T's and dot my I's, and they said, well, if I wear phylacteries, and if I have all of the verses memorized, and if I have the, uh, the verses on the doorpost of my wall, and if I, if I don't hang out with the publicans and the prostitutes and the murderers, if I don't do all of that stuff, then God will be very pleased with me. And so I, because of my religion, I am better than those people. Well, here's what Jesus, listen, don't miss it. Here's what Jesus is saying by the statement that he makes in verse number nine. He's making the statement to everybody else. Hey, uh, you guys all think that you're accepted because you're the children of Abraham and he is not. I'm here to tell you salvation can be his too because I love him just like I love you. 
Don't let religion poison your thinking about God because God will never love you. And we say it often, he'll never love you any more or any less than he does right now. Why? Because his love is based completely upon who he is, not upon who we are. His love for us is based upon what he has done, not what we do. And so here's what Zacchaeus recognizes that day is not only am I loved, not only am I cared for, but Jesus, he's the one who said it. It's true. I'm loved and I'm cared for. And then Jesus summarizes it by coming to Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, where he says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Hey, Zacchaeus, I came to pursue you. Zacchaeus, you're the reason I came to Jericho. Zacchaeus, I came because I love you. Zacchaeus, here's all these people that want to ignore you. Here's all these people that dislike you. Here's all these people that disown you. But Zacchaeus, I see you. I'm speaking to you. I'm spending time with you. Why? Because I'm seeking you, Zacchaeus. Well, we know from the story in verse number eight that Zacchaeus got it. He said some words to the Lord and we can derive his decision from these words. Behold, it means stop, catch this. Next word, Lord, hey, you are the master. What do we know happens to Zacchaeus? Man, Zacchaeus believes upon Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus believes. Now it's not just based upon what other people have told him. No, Zacchaeus makes it personal. And then you wanna know what takes place? A change takes place in his life. What, what takes place? Well, he says, hey, if I've robbed anybody, I'm gonna restore it. If I've stolen, I'm gonna give it back. You know what happened is Zacchaeus understood that when Jesus move in, moves in, other things move out. Generosity replaces greed. Ethics replace extortion. Honesty replaces harshness. Zacchaeus was a changed man, not because he did anything, but because of the one he was believing in. So what can we find from the passage? We can find that Zacchaeus, he was significant to Jesus. What did other people think about Zacchaeus? Unloved, ignored, despised, rejected, don't care for you. What Zacchaeus think about himself? I'm empty. I'm empty. I'm, I'm determined to find the answer. I, I know, I know that I'm hopeless and I need something. And Jesus came along and what Jesus said is that Jesus said, I not only see you, but I'll speak kindly to you. I not only see you and speak kindly to you, but I wanna spend time to you. Why? Because I'm seeking you. So here's the last question I wanna answer today. What does Zacchaeus have to do with you and me? What's Zacchaeus have to do? What Zacchaeus has to do with you and me? Where are we in this story? Can I say this morning, the story of Zacchaeus, like hundreds of other stories in the Bible, it's there to show you this simple truth that not only was Zacchaeus significant to Jesus, but you are significant to Jesus as well. Why? Because Zacchaeus is a picture of you and I. You see, we live in an unloving world, don't we? We live in a place where we can often feel disliked, ignored, and maybe even vilified. We feel empty. Oftentimes we feel insignificant. We are the lost, but that's exactly why Jesus came. The son of man, Jesus Christ came to seek, to pursue, and to save, to completely forgive the lost. And the lost is all of us. Every one of us, we are lost. The word lost, it means to be completely without hope. 
Well, pastor, why are we lost? Well, many of you, you know the story, Romans chapter three and verse number 10, it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Every one of us, we're sinners before God. Every one of us, we have uh, broken God's law and because of, God, because of that, we are lost. We're the lost person in this story. We're, the, we're Zacchaeus in this story that feel empty. We're Zacchaeus in this story that have no hope. We are Zacchaeus that we can find, try to find fulfillment in anything in life, in riches, in friends, in family, in habits, in hobbies. We can try to find fulfillment in any of that. But listen, we're lost. We're lost and without hope. Because sin has devastated everybody. Everyone's a sinner. Years ago, the kids, they were talking with a neighborhood kid and uh, one of the boys that lives in our neighborhood. And this little boy, he, how many know what I mean when I say he's just always into trouble? I mean, just all the neighbors, you know, were like, oh, there's, oh, there's so-and-so, man, always causing a ruckus. But he, he was hanging out at our house a lot. He was always, he'd come over, he'd spend time with us. I'd be working at the house. It was when we were remodeling the house. I'd be, I'd be working with saws and cutting things out front. He'd come and he, he, one day he brought his tool belt. He had a hammer, a little play hammer, a little play screwdriver. He's like, all right, Pastor Dennis, I'm here to help. And I was like, all right, man, well, here's what you can do. And we started you know, working. Well, one day, Hannah and, and the kids, I think they're on the porch having a conversation. And Hannah was talking to the kids about, about sin and about being a sinner and as she's talking and saying this to the kids, that little boy is sitting right next to Hannah. And, I mean, he didn't miss a beat. He's just sitting there. She's talking. She took a breath. He just leaned in. He went, never sinned. <laughs> and just sat back and looked at her. She said, excuse me? He goes, I've never sinned. I don't do wrong things. Now... She wanted to be like, let me just list out all the things. You know what? There's, there's some people in this world that you've crossed paths with or maybe I've crossed paths with and they think, well, I've never sinned. And maybe you're that person. Maybe you're that person to think, well, you know, everybody else might be a sinner, but not me. Can I just tell you today that the Bible has a very good description of sin. It is anything against God, any lie, any wrong thought, any, any, any wrong word, any corruption, any gossip, it's all sin. So if you lied when you were three years old and haven't sinned since then, you know what you still are? A sinner. But here's my, here's my guess. You're probably a sinner just like I am. We're all sinners. We are all lost. We are all sinners. The Bible says it this way in Romans 6.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But did you know what? That's exactly why Jesus came. I love how Paul wrote it in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 15. He said, this is a faithful, this is an absolutely true, faithful saying, and it's worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Hey, I want you to think about it. You don't need to do it out loud, but I'm gonna read that verse again. When I say sinners, I want you to put your name in there. Because that's the truth, that this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save Dennis. Hey, he came to save you. We could put Zacchaeus' name in there. Why? Because we're all lost. We're all destined for hell. 
And Jesus, he came to seek and to save you. You see, that's why Jesus came to this earth to die upon the cross. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter number 53, a prophecy that Jesus was coming and that all of our sin would be placed upon him when he went to the cross. The song we just sang a few minutes ago, he became sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The words taken from the book of Corinthians, helping us understand that when Jesus Christ was living in this earth, he never did sin. Jesus Christ never had a wrong word, wrong thought, wrong action. He never sinned. He was completely perfect because he was God and is God in the flesh. And he on the cross He died for you and died for me. Our sin went upon him. And the Bible says that with him doing that, by his stripes, by him carrying that burden, we can be healed. We can be forgiven. You see, the purpose of Jesus coming to seek and to save the lost, uh, the purpose of Jesus coming was to seek and to save the lost. But how he did that was by going upon the cross. But then you know the story, the three days later, after he was buried, he rose again from the dead. Well, why did he rise from the dead? To show us that not only could he carry our sin, but that he could conquer death. Not only could he carry your sin and be the only person that was the right uh, uh, um, sacrifice for your sin, but that he also could conquer death. You see, because everybody's going to die, and I don't want to follow somebody who remains dead. I want to follow somebody who is, al- who is alive. And so Jesus Christ, on that third day, what did he do? He rose again from the dead. Why? To prove to you, not only can I forgive your sin, but I too conquered death. And so you can believe me. You can follow me. John said it this way in John chapter 3 and verse number 16 through 18, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. You see, when Jesus Christ came, he was God's son dying upon the cross for you because of his love for you. He rose again from the dead. And now he puts the option in your hand and my hand. Well, what's the option? Well, Paul wrote it this way. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For because whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, when Jesus rose again from the dead, he was then saying, okay, I've died for your sin. Okay, I've conquered death. Now, now the option's up to you. Now you have to choose, do you believe it? Now you have to choose, do you receive it? Okay, God, I'll receive it. I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna do all. No, 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 no. Don't let religion poison your thinking about God. Don't let religion tell you you have to perform things to get to heaven. The fact of the matter is, it's not by works of righteousness. It's not by our own works of of rightness that we do, but it's by his mercy that he saves us. Don't let religion poison your thinking. Here's what we need to remember. It's a gift. A gift is free. A gift is undeserved. And so here's my question to you today, whether you're in person or online. My question to you today is, have you received the gift? Do you know that Jesus Christ is in your life? You see, you're Zacchaeus. I'm Zacchaeus, empty, destined, destined for hell. The Bible says that because of our sin, we deserve hell. 
But here's Jesus saying, but I, that's why I came. I came to seek you and I came to save you. All right, pastor, well, <clears throat> I don't know if I've received Jesus. How do I do that? The Bible is very simple. It just says you confess with your mouth that you believe in your heart. It's, a, it's as simple as just God, I believe. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I, I've been thinking I can earn my way to heaven, but God, I, I turn to you. And God, I receive the gift that you died on the cross for me and you rose again. And God, I, I just confess to you that I believe. It's that simple. So if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision, hey, today could be the day that you put your faith and trust in him because he did come for you. You are the sinner that he came to save. He loves you that much. What is your importance to God? You're important enough that he gave his life for you. You're important enough that he, pursuing, he is pursuing you. I came to seek and to save the lost. I'd like every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. I wanna ask you a couple of questions today as we close the service down. The first question I wanna propose to you this morning is this. Are you sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Are you sure of that? If you're here and you are not sure, you'd say, man, I don't know if I died today, I'm going to heaven. I'm gonna do something right now that, listen, right, right where you are, you could make the decision to put your faith and trust in him. And if you're here today and you don't know that heaven is where you're spending eternity, right now, right now you can make that decision. Right now you can make that decision right where you are. You could pray something simple of God, I recognize that I have sinned. And God, I, I wanna come and I wanna believe on you today. God, I ask you to forgive me of my sin, to be my savior. I put my faith and my trust in you. And that's a decision that you can make right there where you're seated. If you're with, with us online, you can make that right wherever you're viewing from. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner. And God, I, I'm turning to you. I'm believing in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. You can make that decision right where you are. It's between you and God confessing with your mouth that you believe in your heart. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.